Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. My name is Chris Wolwind. I am your host. I'm one of two hosts, but the other host is kind of an imaginary host. No, he is on sabbatical. His name is Kurt Flagel, and he'll be back sometime in the future. And our producer, Annie Keith, is also on a mini sabbatical, and she'll be back, as far as I know, sometime in the future. And so you're stuck with me. Now, I have been saying over the last couple of episodes, we're in season two, episode three, that um, we might be having some guests, guest hosts in the future. But I've also been getting quite a bit of response from some of you that uh, I might not need a guest host, that they would prefer to listen just to moi. Well, I don't know that I'm that wonderful, but because um, most of the time I'm just meandering in my thoughts and so forth. But apparently many of you like to hear me meander. So we're going to meander and wander and wander along as we look at um, things of life and the topic of our show this evening is about confusion. I, I struggled with knowing what to title the show. Confusion about life confusion, life identity confusion, uh, confused about who I am. I didn't really know what to, to call the show. So it is about the confusion in our own personal identity, who we are wanted to talk about that because while we could address many issues that hurt in life, and there are many, and we will eventually uh, strike a chord on, on a number of them, you know, I really believe that this issue of confusion about who we are in Christ creates an environment of much greater hurt and perhaps a greater struggle to find healing. So that's what I wanted to address first, but as is our habit, we like to examine some trivia, some fun things. And uh, I ran across this, this series of questions here. It's called a toss-up quiz. <laughs> And it's just a variety of different uh, questions with answers. And um, I, I chose a few, several that I thought were the most interesting. And maybe you'll find these interesting. So let me jump into some of these. Like, for instance, who is the only member of ZZ Top who doesn't have a beard? Do you remember... Yes, his name is Frank. What? Beard. Yes. I bet they did that on purpose, don't you think? Who were the first television couple to be shown in bed together on primetime television? Do you know? I was actually surprised to learn, because I thought it was, uh, well, 
At first, I went to the Lucy show because they always had a divided bed or something like that. But then later on in seasons, they showed up in bed together. But actually, the first couple was Fred and Wilma Flintstone. I don't know if that counts or not, but it might. Do you know this? Who was the first Twitter user to reach 20 million followers? I'll give you some clues. The Edge of Glory, Judas, Born This Way, Bad Romance, Poker Face. That's right. It's Lady Gaga was the first one. Do you know this? I didn't know this. What is the middle name of Barbie, the children's toy? I had no idea. The middle and last name is Millicent Roberts. Barbie Millicent Roberts. wonder how they came up with Millicent. Who said this quote? His mother should have thrown him away and kept the stork. That is a famous quote from a famous actress who, know, who was known for her sharp tongue. <laughs> she has many quotes like this. Yes, that is Mae West. This just made me chuckle. What singer actor gave Marilyn Monroe a white poodle named Mafia. <laughs> Frank Sinatra. That's right. And this is just a little irony. Who wrote Barry Manilow's chart-topping hit, I Write the Songs? Well, it wasn't Barry. It was Bruce. Bruce Johnston. Uh, let's see. I could give you an easy one. Like he had a reaction to the aluminum powder in his makeup, had to abandon his acting role to go to the hospital. The original Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz. Do you know his name? He also had a detective series. That was Buddy Ebsen. He was... Uh, uh, also on that famous series about being a hillbilly. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, how about this? I have a friend who, who would know this. But the movies A Bug's Life, Battle Beyond the Stars, and The Magnificent Seven owe a debt of gratitude to what Akira Kurosawa film? I knew this one, The Seven Samurai. That is a great movie. If you haven't watched it, I've watched it several times. It's a fantastic movie, given its era. Uh, let's see. What film features a flushing toilet for the first time? Bet you didn't get this. I bet you didn't. It's Psycho. Like we care, right? Uh, I love this uh, quote from this American humorist and author. He said, I didn't attend the funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved of it. Isn't that great? That was Mark Twain. Let's 
see. Um, this person was allergic to carrots. He was a famous voice artist. He voiced a famous cartoon character. And the cartoon character loved carrots. I know who you know the cartoon character is, but do you know whose voice that was that made Bugs Bunny famous? Mel Blanc. That's right. And I didn't know this, and I thought this was kind of fun. Billie Holiday was the babysitter for what future Oscar host? Oscar host. Billie Holiday was the babysitter for what future Oscar host? Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Well, give yourselves a pat on the back. You got 50% of those. Or maybe more. All right. Well, let's jump into our topic today on confusion. And when I'm talking about confusion, I'm not talking about gender confusion or confusion about what you should eat for your diet or confusion about uh, a certain topic. I really wanted to address the issue of confusion about who you are, who I am. I, I've had to think about this quite a bit over the years. You know, I remember maybe 35 years ago when I was in college, there was a big issue about finding ourselves, you know. We needed to find ourselves so that we could be a better self of ourselves. And there was always the joke, you know, uh, about, you know, finding ourselves was like peeling an onion and you just kept peeling the layers away until pretty soon you had nothing. You really couldn't find yourself. And the question is, why, why is it so difficult to to find who we are. The question of who am I? Really, who am I? Not who others think I am, although sometimes, maybe perhaps often, we tend to develop an identity based upon who others think we are or on what we want others to think who we are. There was a common uh, marker that was given uh, uh, I, I would say maybe 20 years ago I used to hear this a lot who am I when no one is looking that seems to be the message of Proverbs in the Bible there is a lot of confusion about this and I, as I started to meander through this topic uh, in my own life, I recognized some distinct differences between my parents and myself. My parents were of the World War II generation, and I seriously doubt they wrestled with who am I. And I wondered why that was. My perception was always that they knew who they were, 
knew what they wanted to do, and they were doing it, and they were happy, for the most part, doing it. That always astounded me. Because as I was growing up and entering the years of high school, when we would take health classes and those psychology classes in high school, a lot of these questions started to be asked about who we are. There was a lot of talk about esteem, self-esteem, low self-esteem, building our esteem. And then when we got to college, it was more of the same. I was in college in the early 80s, you know, high school, late 70s, and then early 80s. And I was thinking, why is, why is the big contrast between my parents and myself? I, I wondered if a lot of what we struggle with in terms of who we are doesn't have a lot to do with the culture we are in and the exposure that we have to the thoughts of others, the influences of others, determine a lot about who we are. Certainly parents uh, dictate a lot of who we are. I, maybe dictate is the wrong word, but certainly are a strong factor. Friends and friendships, particularly in the middle school and high school years, whether what they do, whether they include us or not include us in their activities, uh, affect perhaps who we are. And when I think about the the scriptures, and you know, this show is based upon uh, a foundation of belief in Jesus Christ for our salvation for eternal life, for the abundant life that we uh, are to experience, this wonderful, magnificent grace of God that we have that is to show itself in every part of our life, in every part of our day. And it's not so much that we make it happen, but that he makes it happen in us as long as we are yielded to his directions. And so a lot of what we talk about on Life Hurts, God Heals is filtered through the scriptures. It's not really an intent to do a Bible study. You won't find a Bible study here or to preach a message and tell you what to believe, but rather to create some, uh, some thoughts, some reflections, perhaps some things to meditate through on the week. I'm always astounded that, you know, most of my biblical training as a pastor, I've been a pastor for about 36 years, something like that. And, and uh, currently, by the way, and I'll just do a little plug here, I am the, the pastor slash chaplain at Atascadero Christian Community, uh, an assisted living facility. And... Uh, it includes quite a bit of teaching and research and study, and and uh, but I also do a lot of assistance in leading uh, Bible studies and worship times in other facilities nearby. But during the quarantine, we're not allowed to do too much of that. We're not invited. I'm not invited. So, but I, it means that I get to stay on campus, 
and uh, do what I do and help out with a lot of other things. So that's just a little bit of a little bit of me. In any case, um, this idea of confusion, why did I want to, to pursue a topic on confusion? Well, I recognize that for the Christian, a lot of problems occur in our life, in our thinking about God and about life and about ourselves. Problems occur when we are confused, when we can't land on or anchor ourselves to, to certain truths then we tend to be blown around by any kind of teaching, influence, doctrine, idea, no matter how good it sounds, and we'll blow that way, and then we'll blow this way. And, and you know, after many years of that, we will discover, I'm not sure I have an answer for life. I'm not sure I understand how I am supposed to think about things. Yes, we have the Bible. And this is interesting. You know, when I think about the uh, World War II generation of Christians who believed in Jesus Christ, lived a life of dedication to Jesus, even a devoted life. But the reasons, the motivations, by and large, for how they lived their life, influenced by their cultural environment, was about doing the right things for God. If I did the right things for God, then I would be right with God. And it was interesting because while that was really an important aspect, obedience to God is, an, is a phenomenal, uh, Im, important principle to experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ because there's life when we follow uh, Christ's commands. But it's interesting in that same generation, there was a great uh, propensity toward a, a variety of different beliefs about the, about the Bible, about Jesus, about what the primary doctrines are, you know, what we should be teaching and not teaching and so forth. And so in the early part of the 20th century, it was do the right things and then I'm right with God. But in the middle part of that century, 1940s into the 50s and 60s, uh, there was a great concerted effort about thinking the right things. That is, what good is, what good is doing all these loving things if my if my foundation of truth is skewed and confused. And so there was a great effort among pastors and theologians and commentators and so forth to make sure we think the right things, to make sure that I'm right with God. So what, what I see is a transition. You know, the early part of the century, it was doing the right things, and then I know I'm right with God. That would be my parents' generation thinking the right things, and then I'm right with God. That would be the generation of many of my uh, pastors uh, and professors that were training me. Think the right things, 
all about the truth. I mean, that's what seminary and Bible colleges are all about, right? Getting us to think the right things. But I noticed a serious lack in my own seminary training. And, and that was uh, a lack of emphasis on caring about the right things. And I found my own life, my own young life, influenced by my culture, interested about caring for the right things in order to know that I'm right with God. And it's not to say one is more right than the other. Doing the right things, thinking the right things, and caring about the right things are all very important. But you know, in, uh, in, I would say, the last three decades, there has also been a concerted effort to find uh, our identity. Think of the increase in personality profile uh, tests that exist. You know, Back in the 70s, you might find one or two. By the time we hit the 80s, there were four or five well-known ones. And today, there are numerous, perhaps even dozens, of personality profiles to try and help people find, locate their person, their personhood, or their personality because the idea here is that if I can, and it's what I began the show with, if I can find who I am and not be confused, then I can live life better. And there is, I believe, truth to that. And yet, it's interesting that even with all of these personality profiles, locating ourselves, and I know this has been going on, you know, uh, Kurt would tell, Kurt uh, informed me that, you know, even the early Greeks had personality profile things. And I'm sure, you know, when I first took, uh, took a personality profile back in the late 70s, it was really actually fun and interesting. And I, I get it. Uh, and I think I have taken probably seven, eight or nine different ones over the years. And in the last 10 years, I haven't taken any and discovered, wow, I still have a great deal of confusion. <laughs> I don't know that it helped me at all. But I still encourage the, the personality profile because you may learn some things about others and about yourself. I know, I know the fundamental thing that it helped me with, <laughs> and you might chuckle at this because Maybe you struggled with this. Have you ever struggled with the idea that, you know, why can't everybody think like me? Why can't everybody just do life like me? Life would be smoother if everyone was like me. But the personality profiles, once you learn that you're different from everyone else and everyone else is different from you, it does create for us a, a, uh, an understanding and perhaps even an empathy for others. And it can, in fact, create a camaraderie, a community, a 
a team emphasis, a recognition that someone else's strengths uh, will fill my weaknesses and my strengths will, will be compatible and influence others who have weaknesses. So there's great value in, in recognizing all of those aspects. But in my older meandering thoughts, as I've been thinking about confusion and why I have confusion at times, about who am I? Some other thoughts came to my mind, and maybe you've thought about these. If I know all these things about myself, why do I feel empty inside? If I explore like an onion peeling, explore every part of myself, why is it at the end of peeling the onion that I still don't know very much about myself? Why do I still feel empty? And some other question, why, why is it taking so long to grow up? <laughs> I asked myself this because uh, when I was viewing my or remembering my parents at my age, I still don't think they were struggling with these questions. They were struggling with how to make a living, how to do life, how to make, maybe it was the pursuit of happiness. And that is what consumed them. And so they didn't necessarily think about such things like our generation. I feel like my generation uh, was a transitional one into uh, what we are experiencing today with a, a, a far greater confusion about who we are. I have another question that I've asked myself. Shouldn't I feel something different as a Christian? Why am I still confused? If the world is experiencing confusion about who they are and they keep searching for an identity, how come I am still feeling those things? I can pretend to be someone I'm not. I can become what my influencers, mentors, and modelers in my life want me to become. I can aspire to become a certain kind of person and then change everything I do and think in order to, to move in that direction. But I have also found in my life that when stress comes or difficulties and challenges come, I default back to confusion. Confusion. Who am I? Sometimes I think that I fill my life with either things to do, things to think, or things to care about because I believe that in some way I will feel full, I will feel complete, whole, perfect when I'm thinking the right things, 
doing the right things or caring for the right things. Maybe you feel as if a spouse, someone you love, would complete you, make you feel whole and full. Maybe you're still looking for that special someone and you're bouncing from relationship to relationship until you find the one who is going to fill your life, fill your cup until you're full. Maybe the reason we have so many addictions that we struggle with is because we, we can't feel full. So we do these outside-in kinds of things like eating, or drinking, or looking for pleasure in all the wrong places, recreating ourselves so that we don't feel the pain of the confusion of, I really don't know who I am. Some of us turn to work. I had someone ask me last week, you must love to be busy because you are always doing. And I had to respond, Actually, that's just the opposite. I love to relax and rest. But I also feel a, a compulsion within to honor the Lord with my life. So I do. And there is plenty to do. But it was interesting when she told me that, asked me that, I was a little confused. Just a little because I hadn't been asked that before. I've always been a guy with lots to do, but I've never looked for things to do. You see, <laughs> the things that I look to do are nothing. It's just that things need to be done to help people or to do the job that I've been hired to do. But to actually enjoy doing, uh, I don't know. I want you to reflect on some of these thoughts and for the next, I don't know, minute or so. I'm going to do some commercials uh, for us. I hate the word commercials, but that's what they are. That's the truth. They are commercials. And we just want to be thankful for the folks who are broadcasting our show. I want to thank uh, Linked Local Network and Blog Talk Radio. Uh, for this platform, these platforms that allow us to share the things that are on our hearts to share and allow you to listen to what we meander about. And to also um, recognize a few of the shows on the Linked Local Network who actually support us. There is the Road to Recovery that plays on Sundays at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. There is Community Voices Chat that... Uh, airs every other Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and also a very popular show, Pillars of Franchising, which airs on Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central Standard Time. I encourage you to take a listen to those. And I would encourage you to uh, subscribe to the Link Local Network um, so that you can find your favorite podcast platform, whether it is iTunes or FM Player. And also vice versa, if you are on iTunes and you're looking for Life Hurts, God Heals, you can certainly uh, type that in. But the best way I have found from people who have uh, found it difficult is to actually type in 
linked local network, whether you are using iTunes or FM Player or some other form, type in linked local network and then you will be able to locate Life Hurts, God Heals. You can contact us on our Facebook page. Certainly appreciate the likes because the likes help spread the word. You know how that works. Uh, our Facebook page, Life Hurts, God Heals. Uh, also, uh, you can email us at lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. That's lifehurtsgodheals2020 at gmail.com. And uh, I do have a phone number here. But as I've mentioned before, you can't really call us. And the reason why is, is I need another person to help me. Uh, if I could grow a third hand and an extra mouth, then I could usher our guests into the proper uh, speaking territory on the studio format. But as it is, I'm unable to do that. So I'm sorry. But we love you. And in due time, there will be opportunities for you to call in and scold us, chat with us, laugh with us, and so forth. Okay? All right. Let's get back to some of our thinking on identity confusion and the problems that that can create for us. So, what do we do about this? Well, let me uh, turn to some scriptures. Um, just to, uh, well, I don't know if this is going to create clarity or more confusion. You know, when the Bible in the Old Testament speaks of heart, spirit, and soul, certainly there are different words for those words. Uh, but it's interesting because they tend to be mixed uh, in terms of usage by various writers, whether it's the 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 writer of Deuteronomy, perhaps Moses, is thinking differently than the writer David, or when Job uses these uh, Hebrew words. Uh, but let me just give you some, some uh, passages, just so you can see that, that it's a little confusing. So, for instance, in Psalm 77, verse 5 to 7, uh, it says, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked. There's a division there. But we have to keep in mind that a lot of uh, the writings of the Psalms are in Hebrew poetry form, which means a parallel of ideas. That is, they don't rhyme words they often will rhyme ideas. So my heart meditates and my spirit asks, in fact, could mean the same thing, even though two different words are being used. In Psalm 42, 11, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And I keep thinking that I could put my heart in the place of my soul or my spirit in the place. Psalm 84, 2, my soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Here again is Hebrew parallelism, the parallel of ideas. My soul yearning is paralleled with my heart and my flesh. 
You know, there was a book, um, I can't even remember the book, uh, did a whole study out of it, but um, that's okay because my memory is not worth beans anyway. But in the book, uh, the book tried to def put difference between heart, which was your decision-making uh, capacity within you, and then, uh, then there was the uh, will, and then there was the emotions, uh, there was your spirit, and then there was your flesh, or your mind, and then your flesh, and, uh, and your soul was the encompassment of all of those things. Oftentimes, particularly in the New Testament, heart and spirit are used interchangeably, even though those words mean very different things. It just depends on the context. Isn't that? See, this is why I said to clear things up, we're going to confuse you. <laughs> Psalm 103, verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. So that's, again, a reference to either the encompassment of every part of me or just the inmost being of me. Now, when I go to the New Testament, Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Seems in those two verses that my soul could be exchanged with heart. In Matthew 18.35, Jesus says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So rather than get all confused about the heart and the spirit and the soul, let's just talk about my inmost being. I love that phrase. My inmost being. Sometimes I think of it as my personhood, that is my identity, my identification, who Chris is, is really what I'm after. I want to know who is Chris. Now, how am I going to learn who Chris is? Well, I want to go to scripture because I've been trying for decades to figure out who Chris is. And while I am now coming to the place where I think I understand who Chris is, and that's what I want to share with you, so that you can reflect in your own life about who you are. But for many decades, there was a lot of confusion there. But I knew that God was not confused about who I am, because he made me. And he made me in his image in his likeness. And that was really interesting when I thought about those kinds of things. Does that mean that of the six or seven billion people on the world, we're all the same? That is, our identities are all the same because we're made in the likeness of God? And I think all of you would say, no, that's not what that means. 
It means that we share many of the qualities and characteristics of being able to think and process and experience love and beauty and to appreciate, to know how to honor, to know how to sacrifice. Those kinds of things are unique to humankind and, and yet, and for the most part, are shared by all six or seven billion people. So when we talk about the likeness of God being made in the likeness, they are shared qualities. But that doesn't get to who am I as a unique and distinctive person from all the other seven billion people. We may, we certainly can't link our identity, at least from God's perspective, by what we look like. Even though we all look different, we all, to a certain degree, kind of look different than, say, a mountain lion, <laughs> you know, or a tree. So there is a, a nature that we have as humans that set us apart from the nature of vegetables or the nature of the animal kingdom or the nature of a star or a planet, something along that line, okay? Still trying to get to who am I? Well, I want you to think about, uh, about some things. I noticed... And I've been through the Bible most of my life, maybe dozens of times. I have read through the scriptures and studied great portions of Old Testament and New Testament. I've been trained by the best. And it's interesting to me, there is very little said about who you are as a distinct identity. In other words, there, are, there, there's no guidelines about who you are as an individual. There's lots about who you belong to. There's lots about the kinds of behaviors that you and I have, that we share, that we disdain, that are evil, that are good, that are shared by our Father in heaven. But when it comes to who you are, Hmm, that's interesting. So I did, I did some, some little games. I remember doing this. Suppose that I got into a car accident and I was paralyzed from the neck down and I could no longer use my hands and my legs. And let's say I'm a musician or let's say I'm an artist. Or let's say I'm a truck driver, but now I can't do those things. Am I less of a person? Am I less of a soul? Because I'm paralyzed from the neck down? And I can't do... In other words, my identity cannot be linked to the fact that I can play football well, or play basketball well, or play a piano well, or sing well. My identity, my personhood cannot be linked to those kinds of things. So what does that leave me? Well, it leaves me with my mind. Well, let's say that I develop dementia. And now my mind, the, the capacity to process and think and solve and appreciate 
all of that begins to disappear. Am I less of a person? Have I lost my identity because I've lost my mind, my mind's capacity to think and process? In other words, is the person who has dementia less of a person than me who does not? And I think the scriptures would say, no, not at all. Is the child who knows less than I do or you do, less of an identity, a person than, than ourselves? Absolutely not. The infant inside the room, inside the womb, sorry, the infant inside the womb is still a, as much of an identifying identity person as we are. So what is it that makes us unique and distinct from each other? Besides, you know, the various ways we look. Well, perhaps it, we can say, well, it's our personality. And I'm going to say, yes. Yes, it is our personality. Our personality is what makes us different from each other. And that personality, how do we identify what our personality is. You know, when we go through all those tests and so forth to find out who we are and what, do you, you know, most of that, if not all of it, is based upon what we like and what we don't like. And even our habits are sourced in pleasure and displeasure. Isn't that interesting? That who I am is sourced in what I like and what I don't like. Now, am I, not, am I an expert? Do I have a PhD in this? Am I the psychiatrist, psychologist, uh, you know, guy with a long beard uh, sitting on a mountaintop? No. I just thought about this a long, long time. And these are my thoughts and my reflections. They may be different from yours, but I'm encouraging you to think on these things. Now, why is this so important? Because number one, if you will agree that, that what you like and what you don't like, which affects your habits, your patterns for living, your goals, your hopes, how you love others, how you don't love others, that's going to, that's going to settle a lot of issues for you, okay? But I'm not done. I need you to reflect on some other things this week. We're getting close to done because I don't want to do long shows. So what is it that Christ does when he comes into our life? What is it about, my, about me that is changed? Does he change my identity? Does he change my personality? Does he change my likes and dislikes? Ah, we need to think about those things. So, for instance, in my own life, as I've been processing these things over several years, many of the the changes that take place in us 
come as a result of, of God through his Holy Spirit introducing us, putting within us a new spiritual nature. Why? Because our old human nature, as distinct as it is, was corrupted by sin. It has flaws in it. It has become selfish. That is, our pleasures and our displeasures have become corrupted. Think on that for a while. Now let me challenge you in this. When God introduced his spirit into us, he didn't give us a whole list of do's and don'ts, did he? I mean, that was the Old Testament. God was revealing what he is like through the Ten Commandments and a series of other commands that would regulate or help people know how to worship God and how to honor one another and how to love both God and your neighbor and gave a lot of examples, these rules and regulations. But then the prophets in the Old Testament said that when the new kingdom comes and the Messiah comes, he will put within us God's law. He will write it upon our mind and our heart so that we will not have any need for a teacher to teach us. We will know what is right and wrong. So he's not changing our identity except positionally. That is, we no longer belong to the world. We belong to the kingdom of God. So there's that kind of identity, obviously. But that's not what I'm talking about. I don't think you would say that I was talking about that. We are talking about our personal ID. Who is Chris, for instance? When Christ came into my life, and the only reason he came in is because I yielded my life by faith. I believed in who he was. I believed in who he said he was. I believed he was... A representative of God and the kingdom of God came from heaven. I believed all of that. And because I believed that, I said, yes, I want to yield my life to your commands. I want to be made whole. I want to be made different. Paul said that we are new creations in Christ. The old has been cast aside. The new has come. I want the new Chris. But in order for me to know who the new Chris is, I need to know that before the foundation of the world, before I was even in my mother's womb, God did create an ID for me, an, identi an identity, can't say that word, identity for me. Psalm 139. He knew me, but he also knew that sin corrupted that identity. I'm not getting a different identification. I am getting a new, perfect, whole identity as I spend time pursuing God, living in his commands, living in who he revealed himself to be. And as I do that, I find that not only am I being changed 
in my inmost being, my identity is becoming better. It's interesting. The things that I love to do are different than before I met Christ. And the things that I disliked doing are different than before I met Christ. He was changing some things in me. But I believe they are all attached to my to the fundamental distinctives of who I am, which make us and separate us from each other, make us different, make us unique. And isn't it interesting that God, when he talks, you know, in the scriptures, Paul speaking on behalf of God, teaching on behalf of God, talks about spiritual gifts. And much has been made about spiritual gifts and finding your spiritual gift as if when you find your gift, you will find your identity. And I, I have a problem with that. We began with an identity before we were in our mom's womb. God saw what he wanted you to be. And it wasn't connected to your body or to what your function was. It was what you liked and disliked. The kinds of, of strengths and weaknesses within your identity that, that, that sets you apart from others. What you are passionate about is different than what I am passionate about. What you like may be exactly what I dislike. And yet, in all of these likes and dislikes, God is perfecting a person in you. And the more that you spend time living for him and letting God speak to who you are and, and begin filtering out the demands of the world to identify you based on your job, based on your function, based on your habits, trying to change you to become something they want you to be, how many of you have been put in a place of leadership and then you realize, I'm not a leader? I don't like this? And others who are not in a place of leadership feel stifled because you know deep inside you could organize a team to, uh, to do great things. And it's because we have been leaning into the things our parents, our friends, the world would tell us what we are supposed to be like. How many of you have struggled with being an extrovert and an introvert? You're, you know that you're an introvert, but your schooling, your education, your job is forcing you to be an extrovert. And so then we develop personality profiles like, who are you at work? Who are you at home? Who are you with your family? Blah, 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 on and on and on. And you know what? That creates a lot of confusion, doesn't it? Could I just encourage you to go to the very basics of, of who you are. What is it that you like and what is it that you don't like? How did God set you differently this way? And then from there, begin to look at what the Spirit wants to do with what you like and what you don't like. The fruits of the Spirit. He begins to hang 
fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's all in Galatians 5. All of these fruits and many more that identify you as not just a child, but a child who is living in the kingdom of God. Every child who lives in the kingdom of God will have a distinct personality, but will be filled with the fruits of the Spirit that everyone else will snack on. Are these fruits hanging on who you are? And then to think of, uh, instead of trying to change you, change who you are, how about just yielding to God, yielding to his spirit and letting him change you. And what you need to hang on to is, I'm a very simple person. I don't need all my gifts and talents to identify who I am. God made me to like certain things that others don't like. And God made me to not like certain things that others like. And as long as those things are within the framework of goodness versus evil, because there is evil, there is a corruption of what is good. There is a corruption of what should be pleasurable. There is a corruption because of sin of what uh, def defines the purpose and meaning of life. No, we need folks to just keep going back to the truth. Well, I could keep wandering on, but I want the Holy Spirit to help you. And I'm going to pray right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, for everyone who is listening. I know, Father, that there aren't a lot of answers necessarily uh, that can be found in Scripture to identify who we are. But in our inmost being, we know we're unique. Because you made us unique. And the things that you spend time with in the word that you've uh, inspired and written through, through writers and prophets and teachers and so forth. Lord, you wanted to bring our attention to forming behaviors, forming the things that we care about, forming the things that we think about, so that we would be transformed that our identities would be transformed into your likeness, into the image of your son, into the original design. Lord, that's what we're looking for, the original design. While it's great to have all these personality profiles, Father, help us to carry those at arm's distance and really begin to look at the things that you've made us to be uniquely, to glorify you and to take with us into the eternal kingdom, which we are all waiting for, Lord. For these things, Father, I pray for each listener and for myself. Help us to draw close to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless all of you this week. Stay strong. Be close to the Lord this week. In Jesus' name. Till next time. Bye-bye.